The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's a Thursday edition of PFTPM, day four, day four of the first week of our five weeks of no PFT live, hashtag no days off, except when I take a day off. And we have a special guest today for this edition of PFTPM. The guest is already here. She's, she's right there. Macy is here because mommy is not here today. So when Jill is gone, Macy wants to be in here hanging out with me and she may want to leave at some point she'll paw at the door if a truck comes up the hill she'll start barking so you never know what's going to happen but i've been through it all you may be through it all at some point over the course of the next 30 40 50 minutes we'll see how long we go let me start with this tyree kill situation now the reporting has kind of been all over the place i kind of wonder how good some of the sources are that some of the reporters in South Florida are using. It started as in the aftermath of an incident where Tyree Kill allegedly hit a worker at a marina. It started as the worker doesn't want to press charges. Well, the police report says the worker does want to press charges. And then there was a report yesterday from South Florida that the investigation is concluded and there will be no charges pursued against Tyree Kill. Well, then last night, NFL.com had a story with a quote from the Miami-Dade Police Department to NFL media, owned and operated by the NFL, that the investigation is ongoing. And the NFL's interest in this is significant and potentially ominous for Tyreek Hill because the league has the power under the personal conduct policy to investigate and potentially discipline with the enhancement, as we discussed earlier in the week, of additional punishment arising from the guilty plea back in 2015 to choking and punching his then-pregnant girlfriend. So this doesn't seem to be over for Tyreek Hill. And even if there are no criminal charges, just ask Ezekiel Elliott. You can still get suspended six games by the NFL without a criminal charge, without even a civil lawsuit. If the league is motivated to investigate, and if the alleged victim is motivated to cooperate, you could have a problem. And then you throw on top of it that there is indeed surveillance footage. I mentioned yesterday there has to be. It's everywhere nowadays. Surveillance cameras did capture footage of the incident. We haven't seen them yet. The NFL doesn't get them. I guarantee you, TMZ will, just like they did with the Ray Rice video that turned the league upside down nearly nine years ago. My God, time flies. So we will be keeping a close eye on what happens with this, in part because Tyreek Hill, fairly important fixture of the Miami offense. He does have that history. And remember, in 2019, there was an incident. There was a situation. There was something that went down that ultimately didn't result in any discipline or any charges for Tyree Kill. But he's been kind of notorious on the fringes of notoriety. He came in under a cloud of negativity. It's one of the reasons he slid all the way to round five, got kicked out of Oklahoma State. And uh, now an issue that that will cause some concern in the short term. But one thing we know about the personal conduct policy and NFL players, it does take a while 
for it to get going. So probably nothing that would culminate in a suspension this year, but it's something for Dolphins fans and for Tyreek Hill to be keeping a close eye on. Vikings fans need to be keeping a close eye on Justin Jefferson and his contract situation. We've reported in the past that the way the Vikings structure their deals could be an impediment to working out a long-term contract with Justin Jefferson. The guarantees are rolling with injury guarantees that become fully guaranteed in each year instead of a massive full guarantee right out of the gates. Some of the best players get those significant multi-year guarantees from the moment they sign the contract. Or, for example, when you get to 2024 in March, guarantees will fully vest for 2025. You get to 25, they vest for 2026. That's not how the Vikings do it. The guarantees vest in full each year. Handful of teams use that structure. The only exception the Vikings have made as it relates to a veteran contract is Kirk Cousins. Will they make that exception for Justin Jefferson? That remains to be seen. But there have been some indications, there's some chatter out there. And I know it's slow right now, but hey, where do things stand between the Vikings and Justin Jefferson? And when people are reporting that maybe the Vikings are content to let this play out, I think it's something that maybe the Vikings will regret. Wrote about it earlier today at PFT, and I just want to talk about it for a little bit because I always go back to how we got here with great young players who are still operating under the terms of the rookie contracts. And I go back to the years prior to 2011, where the pay that was given to the first round players, and obviously there was a lot more early in the draft, but it continued through round one. The bulk of it was in the top 10 and really the top five. It just kept going up and up and up. And it was creating a lot of angst for the teams because the numbers were getting out of whack. To the point where there was speculation one year, I think it was 2008 when the Dolphins took Jake Long, there was speculation the Dolphins would just pass. They just wouldn't take anyone and they'd wait and they'd wait. And then they'd decide at some point after four or five, six picks, now we'll take whoever we're going to take. Not that that would have helped, not that that would have worked, but that's how bad it was. It was regarded as a borderline negative to have the otherwise positive of the first overall pick in the draft because of that financial investment. You look at what the Raiders gave to Jamarcus Russell. What return did they get? So the NFL became determined as part of the 2011 CBA to completely revamp the rookie wage scale, specifically in round one. The idea was, let's prevent the busts from absconding with millions of dollars they never earn. And that's fine. I got no problem with that. Problem is... What do you do to the guys who come in and play great? You've taken away their compensation. You've taken away the money that rightfully should have gone to them. And to top it off, what they did in 2011, they extended from two years to three years, the opening of the window for doing a second contract with a draft pick, making it even harder for those guys who are the lottery tickets that are scratched off as winners to get the money that they didn't get in the first place, and now they can't get until three years in the NFL. That's the background, and I think that makes it imperative for any team with a first-round pick who, after three years, has proven he's a great player. I think the only fair thing to do is pay him because you have been 
unfairly profiting from his skills and abilities because you got a guy who ended up being great. It's already overdue for Justin Jefferson to get his contract. And the problem is for the Vikings, the longer they wait, the more expensive this is going to get. When has it ever gotten cheaper for a team to say, hey, you know what? Let's wait a year. Let's just, let's not do the deal now. Let's, let's, let's wait. Market always goes up. Salary cap always goes up. Unless you're betting that the guy's going to suffer an injury or the bubble's going to burst, he's not going to be any good. All of a sudden, he's going to go the other way. What are you doing by waiting? You're only making it more expensive later to get that player signed to the contract he deserves. And you're running the risk. And the Vikings have a history of this. Great receivers who decide they want out or the Vikings decide they want to get them out because of the way they've conducted themselves. Randy Moss traded in 2005 and then cut when he came back just after three weeks in 2010. Percy Harvin went from being four weeks into the 2012 season in the conversation for MVP. He ends up being traded by the Vikings at the Remember, that was preceded by the notorious statement from then-GM Rick Spielman, we have no intention to trade Percy Harvin. And then Stephon Diggs wanted out and got out. Justin Jefferson, by all appearances, wants to stay, wants to be there, isn't creating an issue, is not the squeaky wheel that needs to be greased. As I said today at PFD, the problem is, if you take for granted the wheel that is spinning well, sometimes it just suddenly and spontaneously flies off the axle. That's what they have to worry about. Justin Jefferson waking up one day and saying, they're screwing me. They're ripping me off. Look at everything I've given to this team. And they won't give me what I deserve. I have to keep going out there and risking myself every single day when I already should have my financial reward. The Vikings need to get this done now. I don't care about your analytics. I don't care about your team building. I don't care about anything but fairness to one of the great players in the NFL and keeping him happy and keeping him there. If you blow this one, Vikings, It's no longer purple purgatory. It's flat out first layer of purple hell for Vikings fans. When they have something great, they got to figure out how to keep their their hands on that greatness. And that means breaking out the checkbook and writing a massive signing bonus and signing a contract along with some significant guarantees payable to Justin Jefferson, ASAFP. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. We've been talking a lot about gambling and the NFL's, at times, clumsy handling of the gambling policy. We've talked a few times about 
this Jonathan Gannon tampering situation, which has me thinking there's a lot more that they're never going to tell us about that went on. That was the gist of the conversation I was trying to have with Howie Roseman before he launched into the ad hominem attack, calling me one of the top five conspiracy theorists, simply because I was trying to ask some basic questions about what they knew, when they knew it, and how this whole Gannon thing came to be. Because I reject the suggestion that the Cardinals had some crisis of conscience and raised their hand and said, you know what, in hindsight, we called Jonathan Gannon before we should have. We are reporting ourselves for doing something that every we are acknowledging we did it and we're ready to take our punishment. Bullcrap. The Eagles, I believe, found out about it. The Eagles, I believe, got a sense of how much it disrupted and distracted Jonathan Gannon in the preparations prior to the Super Bowl. And the Eagles made a stink about it. And the league convinced the Eagles to accept a swap of draft picks to just keep quiet about it. And remember, it was just a year ago that the NFL found the Dolphins had blatantly tampered with Saints coach Sean Payton, Buccaneers quarterback Tom Brady took away a first-round pick from the Dolphins. They didn't get compensation in New Orleans or Tampa Bay because they weren't in a position where there was anything they could share with the media that would make the league look bad. And it's more than just bad PR. This is what a, a reader and a listener sent me last night. I wrote about it. The idea that maybe what the NFL was doing here was concealing this information because there's a way that a creative legal theory could be crafted. If you bet on the Eagles to win the game or the Eagles to cover the spread, and through the blatant violation of a clear NFL rule against tampering, coupled with the NFL's chronic failure to effectively enforce the rules against tampering, a distraction was created and can be proven a tangible distraction based upon the number of hours spent by Jonathan Gannon in the two weeks prior to the Super Bowl not working but working instead on getting ready for his interview with the Cardinals, lining up his staff, putting together the materials he planned to present, the binder he would distribute. Any minute that he spent preparing for that interview was one less minute available to be spent preparing his defense for the Super Bowl. And I reject this notion that we hear from time to time, well, I have time to do both. Baloney! You're talking about one game, most important game of your career is coming up. Every waking minute should be spent preparing for that game. And any time you spend doing anything else is less time than you have available to spend on that game. And if you're throwing on top of the usual human demands of sleeping, eating, bathroom, shower, although hygiene sometimes takes a backseat, other important pressing family business, that stuff already carves away the amount of time you have available. For anything else, anything you do, reading a book, right? Going golfing, going to a basketball game, anything you do during that two weeks carves into the amount of time that you would otherwise be spending on getting yourself ready for the most important game of your life. So if it can be proven, and look, what would happen is you file a lawsuit, you take discovery, and you find out how much time Jonathan Gannon spent those two weeks getting ready for this interview, getting ready to have a staff of coaches calling guys up saying, hey, do you want to join me in Arizona? How long were those calls? How much time did he spend mapping out who he's going to call? How many different people did he call? All that time spent is less time spent studying film, trying to cure this chronic issue the Eagles defense had with adjusting to motions and shifts. It's something Sims talked about in the run-up to the Super Bowl. Well, if we knew about it, the Chiefs knew it was there, and the Chiefs exploited it with the two biggest plays of the game. What happened? 
shifts that the Eagles defense couldn't deal with. Uh Uh-oh. Instead of plugging that hole in the defense, Jonathan Gannon was getting ready to plug himself to the Arizona Cardinals. So, look, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know if I was practicing law in a state where gambling is legal, I would at least explore the available theories. I would get creative. When you're dealing with a new industry and legalized gambling is new, it's five years old. That's that's infancy as it relates to how it's going to mesh with the legal standards that will or won't apply. And I think of it as a continuum. And if we could ever prove, for example, if we could ever prove, and this is the most extreme example, that the NFL is rigging games, that the NFL is engineering If there would ever be evidence, and I don't think there ever will be, I've said this time and again, I don't think the NFL is rigged, in part because I don't think the NFL is competent enough to successfully rig games in a way that would keep it quiet forever. But let's say someone admits that the Super Bowl was rigged, that the NFL wanted the Chiefs to win. Let's say that would happen. That would seem to be facts that would fall into the category that would allow anyone who bet on the Eagles to file a civil lawsuit against the NFL because we're placing these wagers, assuming that there's integrity, assuming the best team will win, assuming no one is putting their hand on the scale to help influence the outcome. So if that would ever be the case, you clearly would have civil liability. That's one end of the extreme. There's another end of the extreme. And this Gannon thing is closer to the other end of the extreme because the argument would be a very aggressive and creative and hard to get some people to accept notion that by breaking an NFL rule that was easy to break because the NFL rarely, if ever, enforces that rule. So it's just on paper, but nobody pays attention to it. The Cardinals break it. The NFL is culpable for not enforcing its own rules, but the Cardinals created a distraction that necessarily made it harder for the Eagles to win and undermined the integrity of the game, undermined the integrity of the wagers placed on the game. Again, that's an aggressive argument, but I kind of see the merit in it. And this is why it's so important that the NFL be completely buttoned up on everything it does related to gambling. Integrity of the game, integrity of the game, integrity of the wagers on the game. If that integrity is undermined through the deliberate actions of people connected to the NFL, there is potential civil liability. And, And isn't it fair? If I go and bet on any team in any game, I should be allowed to assume that whatever the outcome of that bet may be is determined only by the efforts of the players, the decisions of the coaches, the other factors that influence how a game, a football game, is resolved. The random bounce of the ball, the gust of wind, the bad call that accidentally happens. Not some other factor that I don't know about that was hidden from me, that if I had known about it, maybe I wouldn't have made that bet. If I had known the NFL wanted the Eagles to win the game, I wouldn't have bet on the Chiefs. If I had known that Jonathan Gannon was hopelessly distracted from his job of preparing the Eagles defense and spent X number of hours instead of watching film, getting ready for his Cardinals job interview the day after the Super Bowl, maybe I wouldn't have bet on the Eagles. You know, people like to complain about lawyers all the time because lawyers force people to be accountable for the things that they do and then force others 
to adjust their behavior to the standard society accept. There's a lot of people out there that don't want to be held to that accountability. There's a lot of people that resent having other people tell them what to do. And this is the price the NFL is eventually going to have to pay for all those millions the NFL is squirreling away. And wouldn't it be easier for the NFL if it took the hard line I've been suggesting as the best way to navigate the gambling policy? Have a rule in place that we're doing no business with sports books. We're doing no business of any kind as it relates to owners investing in companies that have sports books. We're going to continue to maintain the firewall that we always had, even if the federal government is going to allow any state and every state to come up with its own legalized wagering program. Without that, you've got the NFL making a ton of money. And the flip side of that coin is the NFL acquires obligations. Clearly the obligation not to deliberately rig the outcome of a Super Bowl. We know that. The question becomes, as you get farther from that, where is the line of civil liability? What if there's a Tim Donahue type scandal where there's a referee that has gone rogue, but the NFL wasn't properly managing, wasn't properly supervising, didn't properly hire negligence at various levels of bringing this official in and keeping this official around long enough for this official to wreak havoc. The NFL would potentially have liability there. It'd be worked out in the courts. So I, I, it's funny. I feel like I'm the only one worried about this. And here's why I'm worried about it. It affects my business. If there's something that undermines the widespread faith and integrity in the, in the product itself, if we ever get to the point where a significant number of people believe that the NFL is rigged, people are going to turn away from it. They will. They, they, they will. A certain number will turn away from it because they've always sold it as pristine. You know, I mean, when we found out that wrestling was scripted, were we surprised? It's kind of like finding out cigarettes are bad for you. I mean, was anybody really surprised? The NFL has always, always stood for the proposition that whatever happens on the field is only the product of the efforts of the players, the decisions of the coaches, and other variables that are inherent to the game so that's why i'm concerned about it i don't want the whole house to come tumbling down because the nfl given its effort to pocket millions and millions and millions in sports book sponsorships can't be counted on to have the proper moral authority to enforce rules to craft rules and to be creative when thinking about rules aimed at preserving the integrity of the game wouldn't it be easier for the nfl to come up with ways to keep the boogeyman out if the NFL isn't already getting paid by the boogeyman. That's as simple as it gets. And I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm Don Quixote on this. I hope I'm tilting at windmills and will continue to do so for as long as I'm alive. I hope it never happens. But I feel like the NFL isn't nearly as concerned as it needs to be about what could happen. And maybe it's going to take something like a lawsuit against the Cardinals in the NFL. We've seen crazier lawsuits get filed in sports. Maybe that's what it'll take. We're well within the statute of limitations if somebody out there wants to do it. And part of me, look, I'm not rooting for the NFL to encounter potential expense and lose in court. I mean, if they did something for which they're accountable, 
then so be it. But I would like to find out what really happened. And one thing I know about this man, what are we doing over there, doggy? One thing I, I really would like to learn about this Jonathan Gannon situation is, is what really happened. Because the moment that they decided to just kind of slip the outcome through our collective five hole, just as the draft was getting ready to start, that's the moment that I said, man, they're up to something here. They're trying to, they're trying to hide something from us. They don't want us to know what really happened. And the, the one way to find out, one of the ways to find out, short of a congressional investigation, which won't happen, civil litigation, which could happen. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Okay, uh, one, one last thing before I answer some questions. I, I don't want to be any more of the old man yelling at clouds slash get off my lawn than I already am, but... This new Lions helmet. I mean, it kind of looks like Memphis State. I've seen people complain that for whatever reason, the league won't let them wear the new blue helmet with white jerseys and white pants. They can only do it with gray on gray. And I said, that's good because I saw the mock-up of the blue helmet with white on white, and I thought Memphis State. So I've been concerned about this ever since Nike got the contract. I call it the Nikeification of the NFL. And it was held in check for years because of the one helmet rule. And I thought the one helmet rule was always kind of stupid. This idea that it's, it's conducive to concussion prevention to have a guy only wear one helmet. Never got that. Never understood that. Still don't. They've abandoned that rule. So now we have teams with the alternate helmets. So Nike's able to try to cajole teams into coming up with different helmets because, Hey, we can sell those and we can match them with jerseys and we can sell those and we can sell and we can sell and we can sell. And, I've seen teams like the Eagles proposing a second alternate helmet. So I, I get it. I understand it. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like the Lions helmet. Maybe I'll get used to it. I like some of the alternate helmets we got last year. I purchased the Texans mini helmet. I purchased the Bengals. I love the Bengals white helmet with the black stripes. I purchased the Cardinals black helmet. I love that. The Falcons sent me one without me having to buy it. So I kind of like that too. Got them all down at the barn. I don't know. Am I going to have to purchase one of the Memphis State Lions helmets, or will they send it to me? Probably based on what I just said. If I'm waiting at the mailbox, I may need to pack a lunch. All right, uh, we need to get this done so I can go have some lunch. Let's look at some of the questions we have today. Here we go. It says 28. We'll see what I answer. PFTPM Posse, you mentioned that you think a good player, defense, in a gambling policy situation could be I wasn't properly educated on the policy, but how would that work in the NFL secret rig kangaroo court based on what we know it wouldn't work? And you're absolutely right. It's one of the reasons why when the NFL approaches players with news that, number one, you violated the gambling policy, and number two, here is the suspension that we're going to impose upon you. And then number three is if you fight it, it's going to be worse. Every one of these suspensions, going back to Calvin Ridley in 2021, happened through negotiation between the league and the union. And how much negotiation can there be when the player has no leverage? There's no evidence presented. There's no proof presented. 
the NFL has put through no steps to show that the player actually did it or that the player was properly educated. No, we have you, you're busted. And if you fight it, it's only going to be worse. And everybody has cried uncle. So that's the problem with a policy that was not the product of collective bargaining that has an ineffective dispute resolution program that gives the commissioner full power to decide on a case-by-case basis what the penalty is going to be. They've got the hammer, and they're not afraid to use it. And for non-players, it's even worse. For non-players, they're basically told, pack your things and go. No questions asked. That's that's another angle that we've been delving into, just to show how the NFL is trying to walk this tightrope between gimme, gimme, gimme when it comes to sportsbook money and get the hell out of here when it comes to somebody who may have just participated in a March Madness bracket for money. That's enough to get you fired if you're a non-player in the NFL. PFTP and Posse, should I answer this one? What was the reason we were given for not being invited to the gambling conference call? Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's no surprise. I, what happened was, and, and we've been one of the only ones who have been banging the drum about potential inadequacies in the NFL's gambling education efforts as it relates to players and some of the mixed messages out there and some of the things that have been said on TV or elsewhere that just don't make sense and contribute to fan confusion as to the gambling policy. So I started seeing tweets on Tuesday about things that a compliance officer was saying and the new six rules of the things that players can't do and when you start seeing it pop up from several different reporters, it's like, did they have a conference call and they didn't tell us? Because we usually get invited to pretty much every one of these, even the ones that are for a select few. We get invited. Maybe not now. Uh, so I started poking around and I decided, you know, when, in a situation like this, I, I will go directly to the people responsible for it. I won't complain over their head like some would do with me. I go directly to them and I say, what's going on here? What happened? And And I was told basically in a nutshell You've been asking questions about the gambling policy. We've been providing you information. We basically decided you didn't need to be involved in this, which is ludicrous, frankly. I mean, it's a great spin. I credit them for coming up with a way to try to semi-plausibly thread the needle. Well, you know, you've been asking a lot of questions. We've been giving you a lot of answers. So we're going to have this open on the record conference call. And you don't need to be one of the ears on the line and potential voices asking questions because you've been taken care of separately. It's ludicrous when you think about it. And, and I've... I've I've considered in some of the other emails I send on other topics being extra snarky and saying, you know, if I'm asking you for comment on Tyree Kill, I'm not waiving my privilege to be invited to any conference calls you might have about Tyree Kill in the future. So that's the explanation we were given. And and what's happened here is and I, and I think I think what's gone on, there's a couple of different wings of the broader PR function. One is one that I've been asking questions of. Another decided to affirmatively reach out and provide us with information because they they realized we were covering this and they may not have appreciated the way we were saying some of the things we were saying. And then they gave us information and I spotted some flaws in that information. And we kind of went back and forth. And I don't think they appreciated the fact that we pointed out some of the flaws in the information that they had given us. So I I, I think that at the end of the day, Whoever set this thing up just didn't want us on it because there was a concern that, you know, I might ask somebody a question that they don't want to be asked or that they can't answer in an acceptable way. And the one question I would have asked is I've written a PFT a couple of times. Why in the world 
do you let non-players gamble on sports other than football when they're not at work? And for any non-player, they're not allowed to bet on anything, anytime, anyplace. Can you explain that to me, especially when you have full and complete power to determine the contours of the gambling policy because it's not collectively bargained? Why are you giving the players this right? None of them, none of them are going to say, you know what, I'll choose not to play in the NFL because it's really important to me to be able to put a little money on the Yankees against the Red Sox. It's it's created and contributed to so much of the confusion that we now have because the NFL decided to give this benefit to the players. And as somebody said to me last week, when in the hell does the NFL ever do anything that counts as a favor to the players? It all goes back to the Chris Sims conspiracy theory, which the more people I talk to about it, the more say, you know what? It's really not a conspiracy theory. It's probably just fact. The sports books want young, rich guys to piss away money in gambling. They're the whales they're trying to catch. They're the guys who are going to lose money. We reported last week somebody in the league lost $8 million last year gambling. Sports books want that. That's why they're allowed to do it. And that's the, the theory that we're going to accept as fact, unless and until someone from the NFL explains to me why players are allowed to bet on other sports and non-players aren't. I should just end it now. I need a nap after that. Hurricane Dave. He's got a few questions. My God, how many has he got here? Are you still confident that Mahomes' contract situation will be remedied before the season? Look, I was told weeks ago that before the season begins, he will once again be the highest paid player in the NFL. And I know he said it's not about money. It's about championships and yada, yada. Well, look, when he got his most recent contract three years ago, it jumped the highest paid player in the NFL by 10 million a year. And now he's been jumped by 7 million a year by players who aren't in his same category. All due respect to Jalen Hurts and Lamar Jackson, you're not Patrick Mahomes. You're not the two-time MVP. You're not the two-time Super Bowl MVP. You haven't been to the Super Bowl three times. Those guys haven't been to the Super Bowl one time. Well, Hurts has, but you get my point. Lamar Jackson currently at 52 million per year is a one-time NFL MVP from four years ago. That's, that's it. And it's nothing to... To, to sneeze at. All I'm saying is most reasonable people and even some unreasonable people would conclude that Patrick Mahomes should be making more than Lamar Jackson. And and now that Hurts is making $6 million per year more than Patrick Mahomes and Patrick Mahomes just beat him in the Super Bowl, you, you would think that this is going to get rectified. So I still think it's going to get remedied before the season starts. I think the Chiefs would love not to be able to do it, but I think the Chiefs recognize at some point it just looks too bad on them and it looks bad on him. It looks bad on him to not be, not be paid what he properly should be paid. It makes him look like he is being taken advantage of. It makes him look like a sucker. And I don't like it when the best player in football, who should be making more money than anyone else, is so woefully underpaid to the point where there's a risk that he's going to look like a sucker. Uh, all right, let's see. So we have here... Um, people ask me about people ask me about who I'm targeting for my fantasy team this year, and I just don't. I I, th I think that they're trying to set me up to 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 respond by saying we don't give a shit because nobody does. Um, Jeremy Dodd, do you see a situation where all of the running backs in the league would do some sort of a strike, like not attending training camp? I realize they know they'll get fined, but what's a team to do? Start training receivers to pass block. Somebody suggested that to me last week because. Yeah, 
Look, I believe that the running backs should come together and create their own bargaining unit. There was an effort to do that four years ago. I don't know whatever happened with it. It wouldn't be easy to do. The union would fight against it. The league would fight against it. But I think it's only fair for the running backs to have their own voice to represent and advocate their unique interests when it comes to how they get paid, when they get paid, what they get paid. And somebody I was talking to last week said, yeah, they should all hold out. Well, first of all, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. They're not going to all hold out. Maybe you could get the best of the best to hold out, but what does it prove? They get fined. For guys on their second contracts, those fines can no longer be waived. What does it prove? What are you going to get from it? You're not going to get anything from it other than a significant bill that you're going to have to pay. Now, it was then suggested that maybe they should just threaten to hold out, and that would get coverage of the possibility and bring attention to the issue between now and the start of training camp. And I can live with that. But if they don't really intend to hold out, I don't know. How much attention does it really generate? Maybe, maybe, hey, it's quiet time. Maybe if there's some huffing and puffing, even if they're not going to blow the house down, we cover the huffing and the puffing and we bring more attention to the issue. It seems like others are are cognizant now of the unfairness of the current system for running backs, whether it's the contracts they sign, the fact that they are are being paid very little during the years where they're doing a lot. Maybe they should have a quicker path to free agency. Maybe there should be a league-wide fund that pays them as they go. Whatever it is, we need to do something to make the system more fair to the uh, the running backs in the National Football League. Leedale UK, hello from the UK and a fellow AOL user. You and Sims have talked about the depth of the AFC a lot. Which of any AFC teams have almost no playoff chance would have a shot in the NFC, the Texans, and which NFC contenders would have no chance in the AFC? I think the Texans would, if you put them in the NFC South, the Texans would would have a better shot than they have in the AFC. I think the only team in the AFC this year that truly has no shot is the Texans, which means, and maybe the Raiders, which means both will probably make the playoffs. Last year I said the Jaguars, Jets, and one other team had no shot, and the Texans. And the Jaguars made it and the Jets were alive for a while. And the year before, we did the draft on PFT Live or PFT PM about the teams that have no shot of making the playoffs league-wide. <clears throat> I picked the Bengals and they went to the Super Bowl. So I'm out of the business of flagging the teams that have no shot. But in the NFC, look at some of the teams in the NFC. You would drop into the AFC and they would just sink like a stone. A lot of the teams, really, other than the Eagles and 49ers, a lot of those other teams... Now, the Cowboys, I think, would be viable. The Giants would probably have a chance. The Vikings would be 7-10 and 10 and maybe alive the last two weeks of the season. Maybe not. Most of the teams in the NFC, though, you throw them in the AFC and they are done. That's why I think this year, and whether this is the Seahawks or the Vikings or the Lions or the Saints, the Eagles and the 49ers are the two best teams in the NFC. And both of those teams would have a pretty good shot against the AFC champion. But it doesn't take much to throw a team off. Injuries, ineffectiveness, a couple of bad losses. All of a sudden, they got to go on the road in the playoffs. If the Eagles or the 49ers or both of them wobble, it opens the door for one of these other NFC teams to slip through. But the problem is, for one of those other teams, they slip through and they come up against the Chiefs, the Bengals, the Bills, the Ravens. They're done. They're done. You would need 
a team to slip through from that AFC field if you're going to be one of the teams that slips through from the NFC field. But it still is. It still is. We're not handing the trophy to anybody. It still is wide open, but the AFC has a cluster of great teams, and they're going to be teams that don't make it to the playoffs in the AFC that if they had gotten in, if they had gotten a seat at the table, they'd be good enough to run the table and win the Super Bowl. All right, let's see what else. (laughs) Robert, why is it called PFTPM if you tape it in the morning? Well, you get it in the afternoon, Robert. It comes out in the PM, and it's always been PFTPM. So the earlier I tape it, the more likely it is to be available to you at some point after 12 o'clock Eastern. I hope that answers your question. Troy Walters, will Tyreek get the Ezekiel treatment from the NFL, even without a conviction? Do you think he will receive a suspension for violating the personal conduct policy? Do you think the NFL is indicating they will respond by their latest statement on this? Well, the NFL has no statement officially. They've said no comment, but it's the NFL's website that has the statement that the NFL sought through NFL media from the Miami-Dade Police Department that the investigation against Tyreek Hill is still ongoing. Here's the thing about the personal conduct policy. Once a guy gets himself in any type of controversy, the league can basically do whatever it wants. It can be as aggressive as it wants. It can be as inclined as it wants to look the other way. There's surveillance video out there. There's a alleged victim out there who intends to press charges. If the NFL wants to track this down, it can. That's one of the problems I have with the personal conduct policy. There's too much discretion in the enforcement of it. Here's a question from fantasy every day. And this question I think has been coming every day, so I may as well answer it. I don't really have a good answer for it. The question is, what is your favorite and least favorite part of running PFT? I I don't, I mean, I don't have a favorite or least favorite part. I love what I do. It beats working for a living. I enjoy waking up in the morning and seeing what's going on in the NFL and writing stories with my own thoughts about it, doing some original reporting. And we actually do more original reporting than a lot of the haters out there would suggest, but keeping a finger on the pulse of the NFL, having influence over it, causing a little trouble from time to time, good trouble, not causing trouble gratuitously, but trying to force the game that I've loved for 50 years to change. You know, I've said this for from time to time. I, I was indoctrinated by the NFL films Voice of John Facenda, the slow motion snow fluttering to the ground, the ball spiraling, but just wobbling a little bit in the air. Everything about it, it caused me to put the NFL on a pedestal that I now try to force the NFL, the National Football League, 345 Park Avenue, everyone who works there to live up to that standard. The game needs to live up to the standard that lured me to it 50 years ago. So I like being part of it. I like interacting with folks. I like providing people a distraction and a diversion from whatever stuff they're dealing with day to day. That's how I've come to terms with the fact that I really don't contribute jack diddly squat to society other than to to give you something you can listen to, you can read, you can spend time on that is different from the stuff that you have to deal with that you'd rather not deal with. The best part for me is there are limited things in my life that I have to deal with that I don't want to deal with because my job is something that I enjoy doing every single day. Let's see what else we have here. There's a, 
I'm afraid that some of these are going to cause me to have too long of an answer. If there's something you really want to have answered that you've asked today that I haven't answered, try tomorrow and maybe we'll get into it. Um, John Richardson asks about a potential Devontae Adams suspension. Remember, he he pushed in plain sight the ESPN staff worker down to the ground, and there's still some pending something over that in the NFL. Could could impose discipline under the personal conduct policy, but the NFL has developed a habit post Ray Rice of waiting until the criminal process completely ended before the NFL does anything, but that's still potentially out there. But, you know, the baseline suspension for assault is six games and it can go up and it can go down. So six would be the baseline, but you know, we saw it. It wasn't egregious. Would it be less than that? I don't know, but it is something to keep an eye on as uh, time goes by. And as presumably the formal legal process comes to a conclusion, J.C. Carm, who is your favorite broadcast team? Pat Summerall and Tom Brookshire is my favorite broadcast team because when I was a kid and we had very few games that we could watch on TV, the one that Summerall and Brookshire did was guaranteed to be a great game. It made that game feel bigger. That was how I knew the NFL regarded it as a big game because those two were assigned. That was the, the crew. When I was growing up, and I know that the other networks had their crews, and Monday Night Football was a unique experience, but but for me, one of the ways when I was a kid and I didn't understand much about the NFL, still don't, to figure out how how the, the wind's blowing, Summerall and Brookshire. And, and today, I agree with something James Brown said last year. People aren't watching games because of who the broadcast crew is. They may turn a game off because of the broadcast crew, but nobody's saying, well, I have to watch this game because... It's this crew. Uh, The game is what draws people in. And you want to have a crew that is good enough to do the game justice. The game is what draws people in. Jaybird042069, are you going to retake your view on the Vikings future quarterback view since Jefferson may have a way out after this year? I don't think he has a way out after this year. I think he may want out after this year if they don't pay him. My take on the Vikings quarterback situation is very simple. Very simple. The Vikings want an upgrade over Kirk Cousins because the Vikings believe that Kirk Cousins was their franchise guy. The long-term answer to the position, there's no way in hell he would be entering the final year of his contract with the Vikings having no way to hold him in Minnesota after this season. There is no way they would allow that to happen if they thought he was a franchise guy. They want a franchise guy. They're going to get a franchise guy eventually. Maybe they won't. I don't know. It's been 40 plus years since they had Fran Tarkton. But Justin Jefferson's status has nothing to do with that. I don't know if they're just looking to save some money in the short term. I don't know what they're looking to do. They're just doing it because they can, because he's a nice guy and he's not causing any stink. So let's just not pay him until he's causing a stink. If he causes a stink, then we'll take care of it. I don't know what they're doing, but my point that I made earlier in the program is they could end up regretting it. Jimmy, AKA JL Jones, one, one, seven. What would it take for you to partake in some psychedelics during your time off? I have no interest in ever doing any type of psychedelics because I'm concerned that under the wrong circumstances, with the wrong substance, the wrong time, it can end up causing permanent damage that I would not even be aware has happened. So I have no interest in psychedelics. I have no need to find some spiritual awakening. I know who I am. I know what I am. I know where I am. I accept reality. I don't need any any help in that regard. 
I don't need to have mind altering experiences to have any sort of, of true meaning in what it is that I do. I really did think it was interesting, though, to hear Aaron Rodgers say at the psychedelics conference yesterday that when he won the Super Bowl for the first time, that was when his spiritual journey began because his attitude was, I've done everything that I set out to do. Now what? Now what? And look, he hasn't been back to a Super Bowl since then. So one of the things that I think wires a guy for sustained greatness in the NFL is to never ask that question. You have to be robotic like Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. Climb the top of the mountain, got the ring. Now what? Go get another. Now what? Go get another. Now what? Go get another. And don't think about it. We don't have time for your spiritual journey. We don't have time for your self-reflection. We don't have time for your navel gazing. We don't have time for your, your kooky notion that the word is spelling because words can cast a spell or whatever that quote is that he uttered yesterday. And yes, I had to listen to it three times to make sure it was him and to make sure that I heard it correctly because it is a little bit, it's a little out there, but that's okay. He's a great quarterback. But the more he talks, the more I understand why he only ever won one Super Bowl. I think it stopped being a priority to him. He's the dog that caught the car. He finally caught the car. Instead of going and trying to catch another car, his his attitude changed just enough, just enough to remove that edge that's necessary to catch more cars. Brady never lost that edge. Mahomes isn't losing that edge. And maybe that's why Aaron Rodgers has only one Super Bowl win for his career. And really, something that could be a common fact between him and Brett Favre. Maybe Favre lost his edge once he finally climbed the mountain and grabbed the ring and did the thing that he set out to do his whole life. Maybe for some guys, one's enough. All I want is one. You know, I, I've, I've wanted from time to time, because I got into this business because uh, you know, I was spending a lot of time following the NFL anyway. I've enjoyed it for years. But you know what? If the Vikings had won a Super Bowl in the 70s, maybe I wouldn't be in this business. Maybe I'd be covering a different sport or doing something else entirely. I don't have this same zeal for baseball because, hey, the Pirates won a World Series when I was a Pirates fan in the 70s. Check that box. Hill has climbed. I don't know. Maybe I got something more in common with Aaron Rodgers than either Aaron or I would ever care to admit. Although I've said before, I think Aaron Rodgers and I have a lot in common. And I think we'd have some good conversations. He just probably wouldn't want to be in the same room with me because on the things we disagree, I'm not going to pull punches. I'm going to tell him I disagree. And I don't think he likes being around people who tell him I disagree with you. And here's why I need to go. Here's why I have a radio spot in Chicago in five minutes. So that's it for today's PFTPM. Thank you as always for some of your time. Macy, is Macy still here? Where is Macy? She's still back there. See her? See her? Say hi, Macy. Come on. Come on. Speak. You want to say hi? You want want to bark? You want to do anything? You just want me to shut up? You want to go outside? Is that what you want to do? You want to go outside? She wants to go outside. All right. See you next time. Bye. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.